Well, my name is Tim. If you did not know that, if you might be visiting us for the first time today, so glad that you would be doing that. And it's my privilege to help us to enjoy God's Word together, and we'll get to that in just a second. How'd you like that first song, the new song? That That's a, that's a neat song. I, lo- I like the, the tune, and I really like the words of that song. Points us to Jesus, doesn't it? And so we start our morning with that thought, with Jesus, and we will end around the the table this morning and in between we're going to spend some time now enjoying God's word before that though I do just want to take a moment and express uh, a heart of thanks not only my heart of thanks but really speaking for the rest of our staff um, Connie and Lynn and Brandon and just expressing gratitude to you for the kindness of your Christmas gifts that you shared with us what a generous church family you are to uh, make that gift possible for us and and then to share that with us and and uh such a kindness such an encouragement to us very practical and and especially the the cards all the cards that had lots of encouraging notes in them and and i would just call us this is the barnabas church you you know how to encourage us and so thank you so much for for making our christmas uh celebration just a little bit sweeter with those reflections well you ready to enjoy the word All right, let's do that together. I'll invite you to take your Bible and turn with me uh, into the Old Testament, into the second book of the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. If you wouldn't mind, find chapter 15 of Exodus. And if you got out without your Bible today, if you'll raise your hand, we keep some in the back. Be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. And there is a note page in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind, grab that as well. You'll find that, I think, helpful. You can jot down a thought or two along the way and And church family, we are nearing the end of our study series that we've been sharing uh, together through the fall and the early winter here called God, also known as. And and we have this morning and then we have next Sunday morning, Lord willing, and then we'll be done with that series and we'll be heading off into some new pursuits. And I have personally really enjoyed just getting to know God better in my own personal study and preparation for our time. I hope it has served you well also. Uh, in this series, if you haven't been with us, we are taking a look at many of the names that God has chosen for himself in the scriptures, names that reveal to us aspects of his person and his nature and his character or his activity because he wants us to know about him. And so he, in the, in the word of God, he gives us lots of different names that he goes by just so that we will know him better and call upon him using these names. And if you flip that little note page over, all the names that we have shared up to this point uh, are collected there for you. And, and these are just 10 of literally dozens of names that we can call on uh, God by in various times in our life when we're experiencing just life. It's challenges. It's, it, sometimes it'll be a, a crisis moment or a threat or a fear. And we, there's a name of God for every moment in our life. And as we have noted, that often God reveals a new name for himself in the Bible in the context of uh, his people going through some really difficult time, a a, a scary moment, an uncertain moment, sometimes a very desperate situation. And it will be in that moment that God will reveal a new name to his people and ultimately to you and me. Uh, And by doing that, he is saying, hey, I am with you in this moment. I am here and I'm big enough to handle whatever you are facing. And so he'll give us that name to use. And that would again be the case this morning as we add yet another name to our list. And that would be the name Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who is my great healer. This is really, church family, a wonderful, wonderful name really rich. We'll just scratch the surface of it together in the time we have. And God definitely wants us to know him by this name and use this name as we do life as a church family together. Your Bible is open to Exodus 15, where this name appears for the very first time in scripture. So let's journey into the sure wilderness, S-H-U-R, the sure wilderness, and see what the Holy Spirit has for us through this very special name. And so, Heavenly Father, it is your name. Who better than you to ask to reveal this name to us, to bring it to life, to open it up, 
let us see you in this name and then use this name. And so Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus, we invite all of you, the Trinity, to be a part of our time and teach us from your word. And we all say amen and amen. For just a little bit of context as we drop into Exodus, we are joining the Hebrew people, some two and a half million of them, scholars believe, as they are starting out from uh, from Egypt on a great journey. They've been slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and, and God has, has bought them their freedom, and, and they are leaving Egypt, and they're heading for the promised land that God is going to give them. And, and, and God has so crushed the, the will of the Egyptian people through 10 terrible plagues, and you know the story, uh, the, the Egyptians are in this moment are begging for Moses and the people to leave, <laughs> get out of our country. But once they leave, Pharaoh, as you know, has second thoughts about all that. And he tries to go after them with his army. And he pins the people of Israel against the waters of the Red Sea and thinks that he has them. He's got them in this moment. But then God intervenes, as you know, and he opens a way through the waters of the Red Sea. The people pass through on dry ground. And then when the Egyptians follow, the the army follows, then God brings those waters back. And in one moment, the Egyptian army is completely wiped out. Now safe on the other side of the Red Sea, the entire nation erupts in incredible praise for this great God who is with them and going before them and fighting for them. And we pick up the record in verse 1 of chapter 15. That's the setting now for what we're going to share together. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Oh man, what a praise moment that is. God is referred to by two of his names here that we have looked at, Elohim and Yahweh. And this victory song goes on for 21 verses. In verse 11, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You get down to the end of the song, verse 21, Miriam, who is Moses' sister, sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, the horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord has shown himself so great and so committed to his people that they cannot not honor him in this moment. It's a great moment. And as you are moving through, if you're taking on the task and challenge of reading through your Bible in a year, it won't be long before you're going to be in this passage. And and we just encourage you to hang out in your devotional time. Read through this song that the people sing on the backside of that great moment of deliverance. But having said all that, what we're about to see is that all of the praising in these first 21 verses is short-lived and it will soon be replaced by grumbling. Verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Now Shur means wall. That's what the word means. And so that's exactly what the people are about to hit. They are about to experience slamming full speed into a wall, a wall of despair instead of what they thought was going to be a pathway into blessing. Man, they hit a wall. Let's put up a map so you can see where all this is happening. The wilderness of Shur is a is a large area of desert in the northwestern part of the Sinai Peninsula. Uh, not so much a, a sand dune desert like the Sahara, but but a giant expanse of scrub vegetation that can well it can support nomadic uh, herders with their sheep who move on and just kind of travel around, but it really can't do much more than that. So it's a barren, uh, rugged place. We read in verse 22, They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. They give this place a name. Marah is the Hebrew word for bitterness, and it 
and it's the word they choose to use to describe this brackish water that this great migrating mass of two million plus uh, have come upon. And the water uh, cannot be drunk. It's not bitter in the sense that it just tastes bad, and we don't like it, Moses. You know, it just is bad-tasting water. No, this is more than that. They, they, they could deal with bad-tasting water. But this is water that's contaminated in some way, and that's how we want to understand the word. Uh, it carries some, maybe some kind of a disease, some kind of, a, of, a, of, a, of an infection. We don't know what exactly, but it carries something that would make them violently ill and perhaps even kill them if they drank it. Maybe both, I don't know. Verse 24, And the people grumbled against Moses, who is God's representative, he's God's voice amongst the people, saying, What shall we drink? Now imagine that word coming from two and a half million people who are thirsty. What shall we drink? In fact, um, we, can, we can imagine that it probably took a little bit more caustic form than just what shall we drink. Because if we go back into chapter 14 of this book uh, to the moment where the uh, Egyptians have pinned the Hebrew people against the Red Sea, they grumble at that moment as well. And if you wanted to flip back to chapter 14 and verse 11, here's what grumbling sounds like from this crowd. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us out here to die in the wilderness? (laughs) That's grumbling, isn't it? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been far better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. That's professional grumbling. And I'm pretty sure, though, we've got a cryptic note here in, in verse 24 of chapter 15. I'm, I'm guessing that pretty much it takes the same form here as they stand near these deadly waters. Notice, though, how the people's joy has evaporated with the circumstances that have just unfolded in their lives. They move rapidly from joy to forgetting the incredible faithfulness of God that they've just experienced only three days earlier. But, you know, that's what Mara moments do in our lives. They, they blind us to the power of God, to the, the presence of God, to the, to the power and, the, and, and, and really the, the promises of God. We, we lose sight of all of that when we get into these places called Mara moments. The people are unsure about God here. Standing before a poisoned water supply, their throats are dry, their children are crying for a drink, their livestock is parched. God, are you really for us? Are you really with us here? Do you really care about us? They are grumbling in this moment. How quickly they have forgotten the life that they just left in Egypt and how terrible it was. The slave driver's whip that was constantly on their back and they had zero freedom and no relief. Every day was a trial to survive. They they come out of Egypt by a, a plague-bringing mighty hand of God. They... They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. They watch as he destroys their enemies in, in one moment. And, 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 and they're just not thinking here. Do they really think that God would do all of that for them, bring them this to this moment, and then allow them to die en masse in the wilderness? Do they really think that God would do that? Well, apparently they do, right? <laughs> apparently they do think that. Now, at the very least, this moment at Mara should prove to us a really important lesson, and that is that that seeing or experiencing great miracles at the hand of God does not necessarily translate into a great faith. Do you agree with me on that? Because that kind of spills out of this moment. And I point this out because, you know, I have had friends here at IBC over the years, and, 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 and I admit I have myself thought this at times. You know, boy, it would sure be nice if I could just see some of the great miracle moments of Scripture, if I could experience the things that those, those, uh, those persons of old experienced with God. Well, my faith would be unshakable. If I could have a Red Sea deliverance moment, if if I could experience something like that, I would never doubt God again. You You ever thought that? It's not true, is it? 
It's not true. Experiencing great miracles does not necessarily translate into a great faith. Rather, great faith comes from a settled conviction that God is great, right? I mean, that's where great faith really rests, that he is great, that he is faithful, that he can be trusted, even when the Egyptians have got your back against the wall or when the water is poisoned. He's a great God and he's faithful. And he can be trusted. God is faithful because he's God, right? He's God. And he can be trusted because it's not in him to be able to make a promise that he he won't keep. That's impossible for him. He promised to bring his people from slavery to freedom, from uh, an old life in Egypt to a brand new life in a promised land. And he's not going to break the promise. But Mara moments, well, they, they can often blind us to the power of God, his presence, and his promises. The people doubt and they grumble. Are you really for us? Are you really, really with us? We're not sure. And all of this morphs into anger. And anger, as it always does, looks for a target, doesn't it? Looks for a target. Who's the target? (laughs) Moses. Moses becomes the lightning rod here in the moment. So what does Moses do when the people come grumbling? He's the representative of God before the people. What does he do when they, when they, when they say, what are we going to drink? What are we going to drink? Well, what he does is he goes straight to God. Instead of panicking, he prays. I wish that was my first response when I get blindsided in my life. I wish that was my first response every single time. Uh, It it might be my second response or my third response after I've run out some of my own efforts and they've failed, right? That ever happened for you? Yeah. I think, why didn't I pray about that? Rather than going off in some silly direction. We're in pain. we're, We're threatened. We're afraid. Why are we so slow to pray? Do we not have plainly given some great instruction? Philippians chapter 4. We'll put it up on the screen for you. You know these words. Do not be anxious about most things. (laughs) Good, you're with me. I'm I'm great. great with that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is exactly what Moses does. And when he does this, God is more than faithful to him. Verse 25. And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now picture that moment. In one instant, water that has been deadly to anyone who drinks it becomes pure and sweet and good and safe. And it's yet one more demonstration to the people in spite of their mistrust, in spite of their grumbling, one more demonstration to them that Yahweh Elohim is for them. He is with them. He will be faithful to them. He's not going to let them come out into this wilderness and die. And and, and not to insult your intelligence here, but but to make sure that we're all clear on on this point, God's instructing Moses to throw that branch, uh, that piece of wood into the water, was not because the wood has some magical purifying quality. Okay? We're all clear on that? Because if that's what we're thinking, we're going to miss this entirely. This was a symbolic act on the part of Moses, similar to his lifting his staff if you recall, over the Red Sea and, and instantly the waters part and the, drown, the ground is dry and, and they instantly walk through these walls of water when Moses put the staff over them. The, the, the power isn't in Moses' staff, is it? The power resides with God. He's the one who does that. And, and, and the, the power to, to purify the water isn't in the wood, the power is in the God. Is in God. He, he's, he changes the water supernaturally, and so what Moses is doing here is modeling something 
for the nation, for the people. He's saying, follow God's instruction. Do what He says and blessing comes. You'll be refreshed. You'll be saved. Do it God's way. God told me to throw this wood into this deadly water and so I'm doing that. I don't understand why. I don't understand what it's going to do, but that's what He said to do. And I'm going to trust Him. The wood was nothing. Only a means of showing the people a really important rule when you have a relationship with God. Do it His way. And life works, right? That's the rule. We don't always get that either, do we? Do it His way and your life works really, really well. Well, in this precise moment, as the news rifles through the families, the clans of the Hebrew people, some two million plus of them, they're, they're, they're sharing this truth. The, the water's safe. The water's sweet. It, 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 we can drink it now. And there's plenty of it for everybody. At that moment, God gives the people a brand new name to know him by. At the end of verse 25, we pick it up again. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And the rule is what Moses has just modeled. And there at Marah, he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, which Moses did, and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and not grumble and and keep his statutes, God says, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. You'll never know any of that. For I am the Lord your what? Your healer. What is the name? Yahweh Rapha. First time that we read this name. I am the Lord your great healer. And God was saying by these words that he had no problem being responsible for this entire people's physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual welfare. The four major areas of their life. Four major areas in our lives as well. He says, I want to, I want to, I want to be that for you. I want to, I want to do that for you. I want to be responsible for you physically, emotionally, relationally, Spiritually, I want to I be there for you in all of these places. But for that to work, God says, you will need to trust me fully. You will need to trust me completely. As Yahweh Rapha, where God took the bitter and the deadly and he makes it sweet and life-giving. Yahweh Rapha, I want to be your great healer. Call me by that name. Now, this word Rapha that Yahweh takes uh, as his own shows up some 60 times in the Old Testament. Actually, it comes from an early Hebrew word meaning to to mend something by stitching. And so uh, if you had a a piece of fabric that was torn, uh, you would say, I'm going to Rapha that. I'm going to stitch it back up. Well, in time, this word came to be used for bringing a cure or, or some kind of healing to a person who was ill or injured, and, and that person was made whole again. And so in time, the word came to have this primary meaning of healing, bringing something back to its original state or even making it better. And of course, that is what God did with the waters of Mara. He made them better than they were. There were poisonous, deadly waters, and he raffed them. He healed the waters and made them better than they were. God wants to be the great healer of his people. He wanted to be that for an ancient people that he loved and, and still loves to this day. And he wants to be the great healer in your life and in my life too. He wants us looking to him as Yahweh Rapha calling him by this name. Especially, brothers and sisters, when we encounter those Mara moments in our lives. Is there anybody here who has Mara moments? See your hand? Is there anybody, there's a better question, is there anybody in this room who never has Mara moments? Can we see your hand? All right. We're in good company then, right? We are really together on this. I find it very helpful as I I read about Israel here at Mara and I think about my own Mara moments. I find it helpful just to observe that God purposely 
did not lead the people around this difficult, discouraging, desperate place. He could have easily done that, right? I mean, he could have. He could have taken them clear around that, taken them to the next stop, which is Elim, and that's a beautiful place with, with springs and palm trees, kind of a resort area. He could have taken them straight there. But no, he leads them straight to Mara, into Mara, and there he faithfully provides for them through Mara. It was, as we read in verse 25, a test, wasn't it? This is all a test. A test to expose and define the, the depth of the trust of the people. Do they really believe in him? Do they really trust him? And it's, a, it's an opportunity for God to prove himself and show them, yes, I am trustworthy. You can look to me. And it builds up an even greater faith within them than if they had never gone there. He still deals with his people the same way, doesn't he, today? He doesn't take you and me around Mara, does he? It doesn't work like that. He is faithful, though. When we go to Mara, he is faithful to do what? Meet us there and take us through. Because that's who he is. Recall the words of James chapter 1 with me. These are words you know well. Put them on the screen. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face what? Trials of many kinds. We could put Mara moments there instead, couldn't we? Consider a pure joy whenever you face Mara moments in your life because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. It makes you tough. It makes you, it makes you solid in your faith. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yahweh Rapha could take us around all of our Mara moments, but he knows better than to do that. He knows what we need and what will deepen our love for him and our trust in him. And so, once again, Yahweh Rapha wants, he desires, he longs to be responsible for your life. Your physical, your emotional, your relational, and your, your spiritual welfare. He longs to be that for our church. Yahweh Rapha. So with the time that's left to us, can, can you think with me for just a few moments together uh, about, about Yahweh Rapha in these four arenas of our lives? Would you be willing to go there with me for just a moment? You say, well, yeah. We don't have a choice, really, Tim. It's up to you, right? We're going wherever you're going, right? Okay, great. I'm glad. I'm glad we're going together. You know, maybe one of these four uh, areas just strikes a real chord with you right now in your life. You are desperately desiring healing in one of these four arenas. And you need this name, Yahweh Rapha, because it's really hard right now. Or maybe you would say, one of these four areas, Tim, man, I wish it was just one. It's all four. And they're all converging right now in my life. And if that be you this morning, uh, you know, I'm sorry that would be true, that it, that, it, that it would be true, but you would not be alone in this. King David writes a psalm at a point in his life when he experienced the perfect storm of all four of these areas kind of converging at one time as Mara moments. Hear him, hear his heart as he cries out to Yahweh Rapha in Psalm 6. And we'll put this up on the screen for you. In verse 2, he says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, what's the next word? Heal. That's the word Rapha. Rapha me, for my bones are in agony. That's physical Mara. Verse 6, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and I drench my couch with tears. What is that? That's emotional Mara. Verse 7, my eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my what? My foes. What is that? That's relational, Mara. Verse 3. My soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord? How long? What is that? Well, that's spiritual, Mara. I hope that wouldn't need to be your prayer today, but isn't it good to know there's a prayer for you if it is? It's a great place to hang out. 
But at other times, one of these areas seems to take precedence and becomes a Mara moment for us. And Yahweh Rapha wants us to call on him, first of all, when we are in need of physical healing. Let's talk about that. Some of you in this room right now are experiencing a really tough time in the physical arena of your life. You're trying to cope with, with pain, and maybe you're hiding it real well and nobody knows about it but you, but you know. Or maybe there's the discouragement that comes with an ongoing illness and you just can't, it just doesn't go away. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something that, that isn't going to go away and, and there's fear in your life and, and you don't know what your future is going to look like, but if it's a physical affliction. Maybe that's what you're going through right now. That's your Mara moment. And if it's not you personally, maybe, maybe perhaps you're, you're feeling this physical threat for someone that you love, somebody that you care about. They're in your life. And it's their Mara moment, but you feel it. Whatever the case, bodies physically aren't working right and you're standing in the bitter waters of Mara. At times like this, we need to ask Yahweh Rapha if he would be pleased to do a healing work for ourselves or for someone else. And we can definitely ask him, right? We, we have the freedom to ask him, yes? He's given us this name. We can ask him. Jesus says in John 14, you can ask me for anything in my name. And if it will bring glory to my Father in heaven, I'll do it. So we know we can ask. And we also know that, that, that Jesus, one of, the, one of the great marks of his earthly ministry was his readiness, his willingness to heal every kind of physical affliction that there was. So it's never going to be an issue of whether God is, is able to heal physically because he certainly can. So we claim this name and we pray earnestly for healing to Yahweh Rapha. And we have faith to believe that he can heal. But at the same time, we're careful not to demand, right, that he do that healing in our way or in our time. We are to pray according to his will. Johnny Erickson Tati, you know the name? Yeah, it's a name many of us know. Uh, she's been in a wheelchair uh, most of her adult life. She was a teenager when she suffered a, a severe spinal cord injury in a diving accident. And she's written a great deal about her journey um, her physical journey, and she writes this, God certainly can and sometimes does heal people in a miraculous way today. But the Bible does not teach that he will always heal those who come to him in faith. And she certainly had come many, many times. She writes, he sovereignly reserves the right to heal or not heal as he sees fit. And this is from one who is wheelchair bound and a quadriplegic. I believe Paul was in this frame of mind when he asks the Lord to address what he calls his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember this moment? Out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, there is considerable debate amongst Bible scholars as to what the thorn in Paul's flesh actually was. But it is interesting. It's in his flesh, he says. And, and there are many who think that it might have been a serious eye ailment of some kind. And, and so he, he, he prays to God. He prays to Yahweh Rapha. But listen to how he prays. We'll put this on the screen. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. I went to Yahweh Rapha for this affliction in my physical life. And I talked to God about it more than once. Verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In your weakness, in your physical affliction. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want Jesus to be seen. And if this physical affliction is part of how that happens, I'm okay with that. But it doesn't stop him from asking. I've greatly appreciated the thinking of a Christian leader by the name of Tim Hansel. You may know that name as well, a, a significant ministry in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, I think he just died in 2006, but he battled physical uh, struggles all of his adult life. And, and he writes this. He says, I have prayed hundreds of times for the Lord to heal me, and he finally did. He healed me of the need to be healed. 
Isn't that a great thought? That is such a great thought. It's so consistent with 2 Corinthians 12. He healed me of the need to be healed. Oh, to have that heart. And and then, brothers and sisters, when we think of physical healing, it is important that we keep in mind that the answer to a physical healing prayer may not be what we would expect, but it's no less of a healing. Tony Campolo, you know the name? Yeah, many, no, not so many, but a popular Bible teacher, uh, speaker, he tells about being in a church once where he was asked to pray for a man who had cancer. He prayed boldly for this man's healing, and the next week he gets a telephone call from the man's wife. And she says, Tony, you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. And Compola thinks immediately, oh, she used the past tense, had cancer. So he, he, God must have healed him. And she says, he died. And Compola says, my heart just sank. Then she continues on the phone. Don't feel bad, Tony. When you saw him, he was filled with anger. He knew he was going to be dead in a short period of time, and he hated God. He was 58 years old, and he wanted to see his children and grandchildren grow up. He was angry that an all-powerful God wouldn't take away his sickness and heal him. He would lie in bed and curse God. The more his anger grew towards God, the more miserable he was to everybody around him. It was an awful thing to be in his presence. But then the lady tells Campolo, after you prayed for him, a peace came over him and a joy came into his life. Tony, the last three days were just the best days. We sang, we laughed, we read scripture, we prayed. Oh, they were wonderful days. And I just called to thank you for praying for healing. And then she said this, Incredibly profound sentence. Tony, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. That's it, isn't it? Yahweh Rapha, for the physical Mara moments of our life. And also for the emotional Mara moments too. Psalm 147.3 is a verse that should be in all of our hearts. He heals the brokenhearted. He heals Rapha, the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds. It's talking about emotional hurt. The word broken here means to burst, to break into pieces, to, to crush or to smash. And truth be told, some here in this room right now feel exactly like that emotionally. You hide it well, but it's right where you are. It's not a physical affliction. It's not outward. We can't see it but it is no less real for you. And and at times, this emotional affliction that you might be experiencing is overwhelming. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Yahweh Rapha. Brother or sister, if this is where you are, if you're carrying this kind of hurt inside of you in this moment, can I just draw your attention to Psalm 40? Listen to these words. We'll put them up on the screen for you. I waited patiently for the Lord, for Yahweh. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. What is that? That's emotional healing, isn't it? A new song to replace the sad song. And when we hear, when we are in such a place as this, we, we need to remember that not only does Yahweh Rapha heal the brokenhearted, but uh, he also delights in using the community of faith to help in that process of healing. And for us who might be here today and we're not in an emotionally difficult place, we're not in an, emotion, in a, in an emotional Mara Perhaps someone around us is, and, and God would like to perhaps use us in a way to bring his healing to them. And so I would share this piece with you that I came upon, and, and I, I really don't know what its background is. All I know is that it has served me well. A person writes, When I entered the long dark of a deep depression, an emotional Mara, 
My first friend came and expressed shock by saying, I can't believe you're so depressed. I always thought you were so active and healthy and strong. He left, and I felt alienated and somehow different. My second friend came and brought me information about various treatments and gave me her opinion about what to do. She left, and I felt scared and confused. My third friend came and tried to answer my whys and told me God may be disciplining me for some sin in my life. He left, and I felt guilty. My fourth friend came and told me that if my faith was greater, God would heal me. He left, and I felt like a failure. My fifth friend came and told me to remember that all things work together for good. She left, and I felt preached at and angry. My sixth friend never came at all, and I felt alone. My seventh friend came and held my hand and said, I'm here. I'll go through this with you. She left, and I felt loved, and I knew everything was going to be okay. Brothers and sisters, may we be like that last friend. Yes? Not needing to fix, but just to be there so that Yahweh Rapha can do what He is so good at and turn the bitter Mara emotions sweet and good again. That's not our job, is it? That's not our job. That's His job. And if you might be in that emotional desert place right now, maybe you'll need to risk and let that seventh friend come in so that God can minister you to you through them. You'll have to risk, but it'll be worth the risk. Yahweh Rapha may be waiting for you there. And, and for those Mara moments of relational anguish and pain, well, God wants to be Rapha for us there too. The Apostle Paul writes about this desire on the heart of God. Romans chapter 12. You would know these verses, I'm guessing, many of you. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. We're talking about relationships here, aren't we? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, which recognizes that we may not be able to do that all the time. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God says, I'm ready to step into your relationships. I'm Rapha. I'm, I'm Yahweh Rapha. I'm big enough to handle them with you. Let me work. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yahweh Rapha. He says, I'll take all that. And, and, then, and then, brothers and sisters, sometimes the healing isn't going to happen until we're ready to forgive that person who has hurt us, right? That's where the healing will come. I give you Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. How do they read? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. All of those are relational issues. Get rid of all of that. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. One of the most important one another's in all of Scripture is this one right here because so much healing can come from it. Interesting how the Holy Spirit ties our healing in this arena to our relationship to Jesus. Did you notice that? Forgive each other because God has forgiven you through Christ for far more offenses, far greater offenses than anyone has ever committed against you. And if God was willing to do that for you through Jesus, how can you continue to harbor some kind of unforgiving heart towards another person? He links this healing directly to our relationship to Christ. Does that not then bring us right into number four? Yahweh Rapha, our spiritual healer. This is by far the most important of these four healing arenas. 
God knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows that we are spiritually sick, doesn't he? Apart from Christ. In fact, that's not even the right word. He knows we're dead, right? Apart from Jesus. Not just spiritually sick, but spiritually dead. And that's exactly what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. How does it go? Well, we'll put it up on the screen for you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You weren't just sick, were you? I wasn't just sick. We were dead in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Spiritually dead, without life, condemned to an eternity without God. We didn't just need a healing. We needed a resurrection. Spiritual life breathed into our sin-dead souls. Verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us what? Alive. Alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace we have been saved. And we all say, Amen and Amen. We were dead, and God makes us alive. Yahweh, Rapha, our great healer, makes us alive through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. You know, there are many, and I would certainly be in this group who see this Mara moment in in Exodus 15 as nothing less than an Old Testament picture of Jesus and God's salvation plan for us. Stop and think about this with me for a moment. The Hebrew people are totally committed to their course. They're in a desert wasteland, no chance of survival without the water. They come to a place where there's nothing but poisonous water and death. They cry out and God says, throw a tree branch, throw the wood into this place of death and instantly God turns the death into life upon the obedience of Moses. The impure becomes pure. The the contaminated becomes becomes clean and life-giving. Is there not a picture of Jesus in here? Jesus was thrown into our Mara world, was he not? He was thrown into the bitter, dead waters of our sin. He was thrown into our world on a cross, on a tree. And there he takes my sin, he takes your sin, the sin contamination of our souls, the sin infection, the death that condemns us. He takes it away, he removes it. Our death because of sin is removed because another piece of wood on which our Savior hung makes us clean. Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. Rapha. Rapha. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, Peter picks up on this Old Testament prophecy and notice how he frames this truth. And I cannot help but think that perhaps he's, he's even going to Exodus 15 in this moment. He himself bore our sins in his body on the what? The tree, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, Rapha. He dies for our sin, brothers and sisters, not his sin. He has no sin. He's God. But he becomes our sin, bears our sin. He removes the poison of our guilt before a holy God. He dies our death, pays our sin debt, purifies our souls for himself, and by his resurrection lives forever to offer himself as the living water that if we drink that water by faith, we have eternal life with God forever. To the woman at the well in John 4, Jesus said, Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. He takes the mara of our soul and replaces it with the living water of his own person. Yahweh Rapha, our great healer, physically, emotionally, relationally, but most of all, spiritually. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray.
Oh, 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 Yahweh Rapha, what do we say to you this day? What do we say to you but thank you for giving us this glorious name and, and revealing yourself to us in these ways and meeting us in these places, these Mara moments in our life and doing it so powerfully and so faithfully. In this room right now, I would pray for those amongst us who are battling physical Mara. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, minister, minister your purifying touch if it will bring glory to you and be through the good of our hurting friends. For those whose, whose wounds are on the inside this morning and emotionally, they're at Mara. We pray for them. Father, we pray that you would meet them and bind up their broken heart and that, Lord, you would make us that seventh friend through whom you could work to bring healing. For those who are in a relational breach right now, your efforts are, are proving unfruitful. We just pray for you. We pray that you would be able to rest in, in God's ability to take that relational situation and, and give you peace in it. May you be able to give kindness where there is resentment. May you be able to love where there is hate. May you be able to forgive though the other person is not deserving of such. May, Ra, may Yahweh Rapha meet you. And if this morning you have not drank the living water by faith, you have not taken Jesus Christ into your life, allowed him to pay the sin debt in your life and make you clean and heal you, today's the day and now's the moment. You ask Jesus to come into your life, to pay your sin debt, to make you clean. And then let us know that you've made that decision. We'll help you grow in this new relationship. God wants this for you more than you can possibly know. We love you, Lord. We love you as Yahweh Rapha. But only because you loved us first. We say thank you in your name. Amen and amen.